Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz from March Madness, NCAA.com, Turner Sports. And on our show, as we continue our conference breakdown this week, we're going out west, the Pac-12. So I've got Don McLean, who was an unbelievable star at UCLA, works for the Pac-12 Network, Fox, and also works for the LA Clippers broadcast team. So Don's going to break down the Pac-12. Uh, I got I pulled him in to looking at the tiers that I believe in, group these teams into different uh, levels of where they may finish in the league, which I'll get to momentarily on my thoughts, and I'll share them, obviously, with Don. We'll have UCLA's Chris Smith on the podcast as well. Chris helped lead the Bruins to a remarkable turnaround last season where they were within one whisker, one shot against USC from um, being right there to finish in first in the Pac-12 and didn't look very good for UCLA early in the season. Quite a turnaround for Mick Cronin and his crew. So we'll break down the Pac-12. And by the way, and we talked about this with Don, it's so great that the Pac-12 woke up and said, you know what? We jumped the gun a little too early in August. No sports until January. And yes, I know it was related to the daily testing. I get it. But they didn't need to make that decision, or at least that announcement in August. I was glad once they got the daily testing, they obviously agreed to play football, which will start in two weeks, if you're listening to this, so the beginning of November. And then basketball is going to start on time, November 25th. So that's tremendous. And uh, they're only losing a few games. And Pac-12 schools will be right there in the chase. Uh, And then later in the podcast, we'll have my March Chadness segment, where Chad Aycock will go over my breakout stars, players that I think are going to have a banner season that maybe had a good season, and now they're going to just take that next step. And as part of our Cats ranks, this week we're doing the Jerry West Award candidates, which is your shooting guards, your wings, players in that category. So that's what we're going to do next on the podcast. Um, and scheduling is still a moving target, if you will. Uh, what we're seeing, though, I think we will see going forward, which is the America East, one of the first leagues to announce this, of the one-bid leagues, the leagues that likely traditionally only get one bid, uh, they're going to play Back-to-back games over a weekend, whether it's Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, which is what the Ivy does, one-stop shopping. So you're going to go to one site, and it's going to be uneven. There's 10 teams, 18 games. One team's going to have 10 home games, eight road, vice versa. And so hypothetically, let's say Vermont, and it's going to be random, they're going to play Stony Brook both times in Burlington. 
And then maybe Vermont goes to Hartford and plays both Hartford games in Hartford. I think you're going to see a lot of leagues do that for their scheduling format to mitigate travel, uh, everything on the weekend. So really the midweek games this season will be the high profile leagues that have television contracts. Those kind of leagues will get the midweek windows. It's going to be a lot of games on the weekends, a lot of streaming games on various platforms. That's where that's going to occur uh, for a large segment of, of Division One. Uh, but at least these schedules are coming out. We're seeing also these non-conference tournaments are starting to take shape. The Mohegan Sun, run by the Gazelle Group uh, out of Princeton, New Jersey. Normally, these tournaments are at Barclays or the Garden, the Empire, and the Legends. They're going to have a string early in the season of the Mohegan Sun. We talked about this on the podcast. So you've got the first weekend or the first beginning of the season, Thanksgiving week, the 25th and the 26th. Uh, right off the bat, Baylor, Villanova, BC, and Arizona State. So three of those four teams are top 10 teams, in my opinion. Okay, BC, the only outlier. Friday night that week, you've got Virginia, Florida. That's a top 25 game at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. And then the week after, and these matchups are still TBD, but you've got UConn, BYU, USC, and Vanderbilt. So a uh, number of tournament teams, I think, especially UConn and BYU, we'll see about USC. And ESPN will make its announcements for its Orlando events, Champions Classic, Jimmy V Classic, and other tournaments. Most tournaments, though, that normally are three games are going to be two at the Mohegan Sun and in Orlando outside of the Maui, which is now in Asheville, if you're keeping track of all this. And the former Atlantis tournament, Bad Boy Moore's tournament, now up in Sanford Arena uh, in South Dakota. So, um, and Dayton replaced Duke, outstanding field up there. And then Gonzaga, we've said this before, they are putting together a monster schedule. They just officially announced their game against Iowa in South Dakota on December 19th. They're playing Baylor December 5th in Indianapolis. They're going to play Tennessee down in Orlando and then probably... Uh, also will play either Auburn or Texas Tech uh, down there. So they're going to have some great games uh, in their non-conference before they get to the WCC, where BYU, Pepperdine, and maybe St. Mary's certainly will challenge them. So a lot to digest. Let's get to our Pac-12 discussion with Don McLean. And joining me now here are March Madness, March Madness 365, Don McLean from... The Pac-12 Network, as well as a longtime Clippers broadcast, and of course, one of the greatest players ever at UCLA, and there's a long list of those players at UCLA, uh, certainly one of the most prolific scorers. And, and Don, first let's deal with the fact that they're playing. Uh, I think you and I both agree that the initial decision not to play till January was not going to hold up if college basketball came back before we found out last month, November 25th is the start date. And I was convinced moments after, however soon it was going to be, that the Pac-12 would make that announcement to start with everyone else. What did you think? I, I thought that, too. And I was a little uh, perplexed as to why in early August you needed to make that decision. Um, but I'm glad that it kind of got reversed and that we're almost on schedule here for college hoops. I mean, it's a couple weeks late on the start date, but and there's going to be a few less non-conference games. But for, for me and the way I look at it, it's – it's kind of going to be business as usual for college college basketball this year. Hopefully. <laughs> right. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. So there is a little bit of a longer period. Obviously, team practices started October 14th, but there were some schools in the pack like UCLA. They couldn't be together at all. And I know you live, you know, obviously in, in Southern California, whereas Washington, 
was able to practice this summer uh, to some extent. Uh, how much of a factor do you think that could be that some had a longer lead time of at least being together in some form or fashion? I think it's a factor, but I do think the teams that weren't allowed to be together were uh, giving guidance on what players should be doing on their own, um, at least from a conditioning standpoint. These coaches always want to get their hands on their players and, and run them through workouts um, individually. But I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal because I think there's a big enough window here, Andy, that teams will catch up if they were behind um, in terms of conditioning, in terms of uh, you know implementing their stuff on both sides, offensively, defensively. So I, I guess it could be a factor, but I do think that there's a big enough window here that, that I don't think it will be. All right, so let's run down the league. Um, in previews and, and predictions, I'm more of a believer in tiers because – it's so hard to say, okay, this team's definitely going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I sort of like grouping them. And so to me, you know, like I look right off the bat of what's coming back, what's coming in. And I really like Arizona State and UCLA in some order in like a first tier. Who's in your first tier and why? Well, I haven't really thought about it in tiers, but that's a great point, Andy, in looking at it that way. Because why was the Pac-12 so successful last year? Because the bottom tier was way better than it had been in a long time. And so that raises the level of the entire conference. I think for me off the top, I never discount Dane Altman in Oregon. I know they have roster turnover every year, but he's recruiting at a high level. They have a ton of transfers, high-level transfers coming in. So I think you have to put them in that first tier. I agree with UCLA, everybody back. Arizona State, everybody back except Romello White, which could be an issue, but I think they'll figure it out because those guards are so good, Burge, Remy Martin, and, and the rest of those guys. And then I think you, I put Stanford in the first tier. I really do. I know Tyrell Terry not coming back is a big deal, but they have a lot back. They have Zaire Williams coming in, who's a McDonald's All-American, who should have an impact for them. So I guess my first tier is going to have four teams in it with, with Oregon, Stanford, UCLA, Arizona State. So I like that a lot. In fact, uh, that was the order I had. I had those four in the top, but I, I like that. I like coming down to include all four because, look, we know that, you know, that any one of those four, depending upon how they get hot and really do they stay healthy and avoid any major COVID issues. Let's dive a little bit deeper, though, into a couple of these. First of all, Oregon, uh, Will Richardson's back, Oscar De Silva back for Stanford. You mentioned Chris Smith, you know, Tiger Campbell at UCLA. You mentioned Remy Martin the impact of those individuals on those four teams respectively, how much do you think it'll be? Well, I think it'll be big. I think Oregon's a little different. Richardson, you know, they, it's going to be interesting to watch Oregon and, and how they play without Peyton Pritchard. I mean, he did so much for them. So is Richardson going to get a lot of those shots that Pritchard got? Is it Duarte? Is it one of the new guys that we don't know about that's, that's going to start? Um, so kind of some unknowns, but we have seen throughout the years in this league that, that veteran guys emerge. And if your team's going to win this, this league, a lot of times it's a team with a player who puts them on their back, like Peyton Pritchard last year. They won the league with him. So those are all good candidates. I'm looking at Remy Martin, though, Andy. I think he's had a, had a really, really good career so far. And I think he was looking at Peyton Pritchard last year saying, you know what, I can do that. I can do what Peyton Pritchard did. And if he does and puts the team on his back, I don't see any reason why in somewhat of an open field, why Arizona State couldn't win the league. Um, I think McKinley Wright's in that category, too, at Colorado. He's looked at what Pritchard did and thinks he can do it as well. And 
The last thing I would say, Andy, about veteran players um, is, is point guards, too, whether they're seniors or just upperclassmen that have experience. If you have good point guard play, you really got a chance in this league. All right, so hold off that thought on Colorado. We'll get to them in a second. The one other point in these top four, and, and this is why Oregon is sort of the outlier here because every year they do come up with guys that we weren't sure how good they were going to be, transfers, newcomers, the like. I do think this particular year, because we don't know what is going to happen in terms of any kind of adversity related to COVID, a team that's been together, that knows what they're doing, that doesn't necessarily need to be, um, I, I wouldn't say coached, but sort of taught plays, if you will, uh, if they suddenly you know can't play for a week and or, or two, who knows, and now have to get right back onto the court. How do they handle that? And that's why I also really like these teams that we just discussed because they've got some of those key veteran pieces that can lead, that can pick up if they have to take a break. Well, to that point and that thought, Andy, UCLA has then got to be your favorite because they have everybody back. And if they can recapture what they did before the shutdown last year, they're, they're playing as good as any team in the league, finished in second place. So, and they had bought in. They had bought in. It took Mick a while for them to get it or to buy in, whatever you want to call it, but they got it in February. And so if they can just get back to that, um, and there is some some stoppages here, hopefully not, but UCLA's got to become the favorite then because Stanford, you could argue the same thing. They have as many guys back, but I think implementing a, a freshman who's going to be a big part in Zaire Williams is harder than it is for UCLA not having to implement somebody like that. And really, UCLA was a buzzer beater away in that USC game from potentially, you know, finishing first, obviously. All right, next here, I, I like in some order, Colorado, USC, Utah, the team that I just don't know, and maybe you'll convince me otherwise, because they've got so many newcomers and lost so much, but it's hard to push them too far down, is Arizona. Um, but that's sort of where I come in that next grouping. Yeah, uh, I don't think Sean Miller recruits players that aren't good. <laughs> you know, he's been doing it since he's been there. So, yeah, there's some foreign guys in there that we don't know about. We haven't seen not the plethora of McDonald's All-Americans that Arizona usually has. But I just have a feeling that those guys are going to be better than we all think. Um, you know, speaking of senior leadership, USC lost a lot of that. But their talent level is high and they are big, man. Their starting five is going to be gigantic. So I like them in that group. I love McKinley Wright. I have since he was a freshman. I like him in that group. Um, so I, I agree with your group, Andy. I think Utah, you know, Utah scares me a little bit in that group just because they have the turnover and they're going to rely on a couple freshmen as well. So if there is some stoppages or like we're talking about, does that become a problem? But I have no problem with that second tier of teams. So at least with Colorado and Utah, you tell me maybe differently with USC, but you know, with McKinley Wright the fourth and Ryland Jones, to your point of having experienced point guards, that could be, you know, instrumental in, in staying in that grouping. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't count out Ethan Anderson. You know, he wasn't highly recruited coming to USC, but he had a good year last year. And part of the reason why Elijah Weaver transferred, because he saw the writing on the wall. And I think Anderson, although not as good as as McKinley Wright because he doesn't have the experience could he challenge a Ryland Jones if you're comparing those two I think so and I love Ryland Jones um, the thing that those three bring to the table that I love is toughness Andy all three of those guys are tough dudes that play hard that don't back down that aren't afraid of the big shot and so 
yes, all three of those point guards are probably the reason why they're in that second tier. And don't be surprised if they're better than we think and they jump into that first tier at some point. And then the question, of course, will be who will be the consistent replacement of Nico Mannion? Yeah, I mean, there's so many unknowns in Arizona, how they're going to play, who's playing on the ball, who's playing off. But Sean will figure that out. It's it's hard for me to sit here, and I haven't talked to any of those guys yet. I will here in the next couple of weeks um, to, to hear and, and find out what's going on. But there's just there's just so much turnover there and, and so many new faces. It's hard to predict, you know, what they're going to do and who's playing where. All right, so last year, I'm glad we're in agreement here, but in what kind of order? Uh, and you tell me if one of these four should move higher up. Uh, but that last year's Washington, Cal, Washington State, Oregon State. You know, you would think that Washington would be able to move up. They had a, a had a disastrous year last year. Um, I think that they'll get back to uh, being better than they were. Um, you know, I think you could flip any of those four around. Um, you know, Oregon State's got a lot of roster turn- turnover. Washington State losing C.J. Ellaby was a big blow for them. Um, but Kyle Smith has proven that he can coach already in the league. Same with Mark Fox. Um, but but that's kind of the, the thing with the league this year, Andy. There's so and, and it's all, and it's in all of college basketball. There's so much turnover now with going to the NBA, with transfers, with grad transfers, that it's really hard to sit here in October and predict who's going to be what. Um, you would hope that one of those four teams makes a jump and they're better. And that's what we hope for all our teams in the Pac-12 is that they're better than we think they are. Um, because like I said earlier, when the bottom's good in the Pac-12, it helps the top and it helps the middle and it helps getting more teams into the NCAA tournament. So I hope that especially in the non-con, if those four teams are in the bottom four, that they're better than we think and they have a good November and December. All right, so in terms of an all Pac-12 uh, these are the five names that pop for me. You tell me if I'm missing someone or who you would put. I, I think I know who you're going to put uh, in the pole position, if you will. Remy Martin, Arizona State. Chris Smith, UCLA. And, and this is in, doesn't have to be in an order. Uh, McKinley Wright, the fourth from Colorado. Tim Allen from Utah. And Oscar DeSilva from Stanford. That's a good five. And I wish I had a little more time to put some more thought to this, but I don't think you can argue with any of that. The thing I don't like, Andy, what what a lot of the magazines do and a lot of the people that do the predictions is putting freshmen on all conference teams. It's like, we don't know. Yeah, they're probably going to be good. Mobley's going to be good at USC. Williams, we've already talked about. Christopher at Arizona State. Um, Yeah, they could be all Pac-12, but we don't know that. So let's go with what we do know and what we've seen. Um, I don't think there's anybody other than those five that pops into my mind that would take one of those five off of it. Um, Maybe I'll text you later in the day when I'm walking around and I'm like, what the heck, why did I leave that guy off? Um, But that's a good five. And and I'm excited about this year in the conference, Andy, because I think it's going to be a lot like last year where everybody's pretty good. There's no drop off at the end. and, And we're going to be talking about getting, you know, like we were last year, at least five last year, probably six into the NCAA tournament. Hey, one last thing, Don, that, that happened last week. Uh, the NCAA made an announcement of the sites for 23 through 26. And what jumped out at me is there are three new sites out west when we've been craving for more sites. They're going to go to Vegas, uh, same arena that the Pac-12 has their tournament in. There's a new arena in Seattle uh, where the NHL team's going to play. They're going to p- go to San Francisco, uh, the new home of the Warriors. So that's three more to add where they've been, you know, obviously in Boise, Spokane, San Jose, uh, they've obviously come to Staples, but adding those three more, 
Um, you know, what, what kind of difference does that help? You know, if we if there are teams in the Pac-12 that are high enough seeds to protect and be in those those sites. Yeah, I think it helps. And, and it was a no brainer. And I was just waiting for the NCAA to announce Vegas because the Pac-12 tournament at T-Mobile has been fantastic. And going all the way back to when I did the Pac-10 tournament at Staples and some nights there was 1,500 people there, T-Mobile's full for the most part. And so why not have an end? If you're going to have a, uh, you know, a, 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 a league tournament there, why not have the NCAA tournament there? And so a great decision, I feel like the Chase Center is one of the probably the most beautiful arena I've ever been in. And then the new, the new uh, arena that you mentioned in Seattle, I think it's fantastic. And I do think it will help the PAC 12 teams um, just with travel, number one. And number two, if it is at T-Mobile, uh, the familiarity with that, how about going from playing your conference tournament to maybe the next week playing again there in the NCAA tournament, what a bonus that would be for the league. And also I think, you know, having more opportunities uh, for non-conference games. I mean, I think for Washington, you know, yes, they've done a good job of home and homes, but you, anytime you can get a big time neutral site arena in your city and maybe you can get like a North Carolina say, hey, you know, we don't want to come to your campus arena, but we'll play in Seattle at the new, you know, facility that's a pro arena. Stuff like that in your backyard will ultimately still help, I think, scheduling games. 100%, Andy, and, and UW Gonzaga comes to mind. I did that game a couple of years ago, and it sold out, and people had to buy tickets in advance and buy game packages because they knew they weren't going to have enough seats. So now if you have an NBA arena or an NHL arena that you can play that game in, why not? And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great thing for, for Washington. I could even see Washington State playing a game there if they wanted to play somebody. Why not? Um, but certainly good for the league. And uh, good for the NCAA tournament. Well, Don, can't wait to hopefully be, uh, you know, I don't know if we'll be sitting next to each other this year, but certainly talking more about the Pac-12 uh, as the season begins in a month. Well, if we're sitting next to each other, Andy, there'll be some plexiglass between us. <laughs> we know that in this day. Yes. But yes, I'm looking forward to college hoops. I've been waiting. Like we talked about earlier, I'm glad it seems to be on track as we sit here now and should be a great season in general. But I think also another good season for the Pac-12 like last year. Appreciate it, Don. Stay healthy. Thanks, Andy. You too. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, it's time for Katz Ranks here on March Madness. March Madness 365 with a look at the top 20 candidates for the Jerry West Award. That is the wing, the two guard, the shooting guard. Now, a lot of these positions are getting blurred over the years. Uh, and sometimes I... You know, got a little bit of flack if I've got someone in the point guard versus the wing. So want to make sure these are much more wings than point guards. Uh, there's probably only one player that you could say on this list could be sliding a little bit more toward a playmaker, but he's not a great assist player. And that's my player at number 20. And that's Bryce Aiken uh, from Seton Hall, former Harvard player, averaged 16 a game at Harvard. But under two assists a game. So he's much more of a playmaking shooting guard than he is a playmaking distributor. So for now, we're going to put Bryce Aiken at number 20 on this list. Make sure he's healthy for Seton Hall, the transfer from Harvard. All right, number 19, Austin Reeves from Oklahoma. 14, 5, and 3 for the Sooners last season. Doesn't get a lot of pub, and really the Sooners don't do a great job of promoting their guys. Maybe that's by design, but we're going to give Austin Reeves some love here. At number 18, Jose Alvarado from Georgia Tech. 
Jose at 14 points a game, four assists a game. You know, he could be a difference maker for the Yellow Jackets, a team that I think is going to make the NCAA tournament. At number 17, Javon Jackson from UTSA. He is a stat stuffer from Texas San Antonio, averaging 26 a game last season. At number 16, I've had this player on my list a couple of years now, and it's been a little up and down, but he's an outstanding individual, high character, unbelievable work. We talked to him on this podcast about what he's doing off the court in terms of social justice. His grandmother was a social activist in South Africa. Kellen Grady from Davidson, uh, averaging 17 a game, deserves to be on this list. Blake Francis from Richmond, checking in one spot above out of the A-10. He's averaging 17 shoots, over 40%. I think Richmond's going to have an outstanding season. They could go on a deep run. Let's go to Creighton. Mitch Ballack, uh, big-time shooter, over 40%, uh, 11 points a game. He's going to be a big three-point maker for the Blue Jays this season. Let's go out west. Derek Alston, junior from Boise State. He averages 17 a game, and if the Broncos win the Mountain West Conference, it'll be because of Derek Alston. Going back to the Big 12, Miles McBride from West Virginia, averaging nearly 10 a game. I think those numbers will increase this season. Going back to the A-10, Jordan Goodwin from St. Louis. He's a double-double guy, 15 and 10. And the Billikens, should be an NCAA tournament team this season and a team that will challenge Richmond for that A-10 title. In the Big East, David Duke checks in here in my top grouping out of Providence. You could go Duke, you could go Reeves. Uh, there's no question that I think David Duke will have a banner season for the Friars, averaging a dozen points, shooting over 40% last season. I think those numbers will increase. Out West, Will Richardson from Oregon. He benefited having Peyton Pritchard uh, at the point last season, Pritchard is gone. Richardson still will need to flourish. Uh, he shoots nearly 50% from the field. So Richardson, I think, will flourish in this role as well, getting even more touches. Potential breakthrough player out of Villanova, Justin Moore checking in in my top 10. Averaged 11 points game last season. I think those numbers will climb for Justin Moore. Back in the Big 12, Macy Oteague. Averaged 13 points a game last season. You pair him with Jared Butler. It's one of the best backcourts in the country. Right above him, A.J. Lawson from South Carolina. Another team I probably should have been higher on in terms of a bubble team as we looked going forward toward the NCAA tournament uh, bracketing that we started already. I like Lawson. I like this Gamecock team. I think they will rise up in the SEC. He averaged 13 a game. That number could climb. Joel Ayayi from Gonzaga. Flirted with the NBA draft. He's back. Average only 10 a game last season, but those numbers are going to climb because he's going to have more touches this season. He'll be paired with Jalen Suggs, um, another wing that I'll have an outstanding season for Gonzaga. But I think Ayayi has blossomed into a player that could be an All-American type player. Let's go into our top four here. And this could go in any order. Caleb Mills from Houston. 13 points a game. He could be the player of the year in the American. And the Cougars will be the favorite to win the American Athletic Conference. Now, here's where it gets interesting, and I know I'm gonna get a lot of pushback here. At number three, I got Joshua Langford from Michigan State. If he weren't hurt, first of all, he wouldn't even be here because he wouldn't have gotten the extra year, but he's a big time scorer, 15 a game. He can go for 20, 25. So if he's healthy, he's gotta be top three. At number two, out of the Missouri Valley, the Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year, A.J. Green from Northern Iowa, averaging just a hair under 20 points a game at 19. Those numbers are going to increase. The Panthers are the favorite in the Valley. And here's where I'll get some pushback, but 
Got to take some chances. I'm going with a freshman at number one and BJ Boston out of Kentucky. Uh, look, Boston's going to be on that wing. He's going to get a lot of touches and high productivity productivity for Kentucky. And so I think he could put up great numbers for the Wildcats. So I took a gamble here. I went with a young guy, a freshman, not a proven player at number one. We'll see how I get in terms of the engagement off of that. So 20 candidates for Jerry West Award this season, that wing, that shooting guard here in college basketball. And now joining me here on March Madness and March Madness 365, Chris Smith from UCLA. And uh, Chris, let's first deal with uh, over the last, what, six months, um, it's been a tumultuous time for for everybody and certainly for college athletes as well. And especially with players from the state of California, because unlike some other places, um, it took a long time before you guys were allowed to be back on campus. Uh, what's it been like to finally actually be back in Westwood? Well, I've been here in Westwood, you know, since the start of it. Uh, as soon as, you know, we heard season was ended, uh, I just stayed here in my apartment and worked out here. But it's been super duper exciting uh, to be back with the guys. Every day <laughs> has felt like first day of practice. I don't know. I missed it so much. But yeah, I've, I've loved every second of it. All right. So let me clarify. So you've been in the city of Westwood, yeah. but being actually on UCLA's campus in the gym, I know that's not been allowed for quite some time. So what were you doing prior to that? And when did, when was the first time you were actually allowed to be in the practice facility? Well, leading up to our first practice, I was just out here uh, working out on my own pretty much. Um, once gym started opening up, um, I started working out with you know, some of my teammates, uh, as well as some trainers here in the area, just as often as possible. But I believe we've been in practice for about two weeks now, two and a half weeks now. Uh, so it was just recently that we were allowed to be in the gym with each other and, you know, getting to Mo Austin again. Uh, but yeah, I was just out here trying to stay in shape, uh, make sure that I didn't come back shooting off the side of the backboard or anything. So if you can, what was that like the first time you guys as a group? And I know officially this week is when everyone's sort of for full team practices, but even these more sort of smaller group workouts, what was that like when everyone first was walking back into the Austin facility for the first time in nearly half a year? I mean, it was, it was different. Um, guys look different. Uh, you know, I've been hanging out with everybody uh, that's been in town as much as possible. So I mean, it wasn't like seeing new faces, but we did get to see our, um, you know, new two players, two new players, three, um, uh, counting Logan. Uh, but we got, you know, Johnny transferred from Kentucky and, and Jalen as well. Uh, he's a freshman. So, um, I mean, it, it was just different. Uh, we have four man groups. Uh, wasn't really, we couldn't do anything big, uh, masks and everything all the time. So, um, I mean, it, it was it was an experience for sure, but just being back in the gym with them, you know, just made me happy. So now that you're actually competing with the team, and we'll see, obviously, uh, you know, obviously the restrictions are still in place, masking up until, if I'm not mistaken, that you're going up and down, you know, full speed. Um, but as you get into the gym, you got to wear masks, and obviously around campus and all that. The momentum you guys had toward the end of last season, even before that last second shot by USC, uh, to, to beat you guys in that last game. Um, what are the chances that you can duplicate that kind of momentum that you guys had toward the end of last season uh, going into what would have been, you know, a full Pac-12 tournament and an NCAA tournament? I think chances are super high. We pretty much have everyone back. Unfortunately, we lost 
a few seniors in Prince and Alex. Um, but, you know, lots of guys that played major minutes are coming back. So it's pretty much same faces that we saw last year that were able to build that momentum, you know, until the USC loss. But I think it's a high, high chance because uh, if you ask me, I, I still feel the momentum uh, and I feel it even stronger now uh, because of the long time that we weren't able to be together. Um, so I say it's, it's a high chance. We want to come in, you know, first game and, and, and just roll on top of that, just like we ended last season. You know, I think one of the best things about you guys and a lot of these other teams that have veteran guys that have been together is because this is going to be a season like no other, and we don't know if there's going to be, you know, hiccups, adversity. There'll be adversity, but we don't know if there'll be stop and start that having a team that knows what it's doing and can sort of pick it up if they have to be off for a week or two weeks or what have you. I mean, how critical do you think that will be to have a group that's been together, that knows what to do if you have to deal with that kind of adversity? I think it's big. Uh, you know, when I first got here, we weren't really an experienced group. You know, my freshman year, we had some upperclassmen and, and, and Thomas Welsh and Aaron Holiday. Uh, but after that, it was pretty much just my class and a couple guys, like sophomores and juniors, so not much experience. Uh, but thankfully, we got to get a lot of guys to come back. So I feel as if, you know, maybe for the first time, I'm a part of an experienced group with me having the most experience. Uh, so just being going through what I've gone through and, and playing the amount of games I can, I, I do my best to, you know, share my wisdom with my teammates because it's going to be hard, you know, this season. It's going to be hard. We don't really know what to look forward to. Uh, we're just ready to play. So I'd say that this year is the most experienced group that I've been a part of at UCLA, and I think it'll play a pretty big role in our hopeful success this season. So prior to that announcement about November 25th, you know, the Pac-12 had made its own announcement about January. In that time period when they made that announcement versus when we heard about uh, November 25th and right soon after the Pac-12 you know, pretty soon after said, no, we'll allow basketball teams to start with everyone else. How tenuous was that, that, that period of not knowing if, you know, we may not play till January and everyone else may play, you know, potentially earlier. You know, I was just taking all news as positive news. You know, I didn't care how long we had to wait to play. I was just happy that we were going to be able to play, to be honest with you. Um, it was quite unfortunate hearing that we weren't going to be able to play until 2021. But, I mean, January was not far from November. So, you know, I didn't really see that as bad news or anything. But definitely, you know, having our whole season expedited and, and being able to play within the next month, uh, I'd say that was the greatest news that I've heard since, since March. Yeah, that appreciation now to just be on the court. And I'm curious, so everyone's obviously been watching the NBA in the bubble we rarely have that as the lead-in to college basketball. I mean, it's never happened. How, how much do you think that has energized the college basketball community that we all got this lead-in of the NBA playoffs into the season that you play in, that I cover, that we all watch? I mean, it just gives us a lot of hope, you know? Adam Silver did an amazing job with the NBA bubble over that span of time and playing that amount of games and not having any positive tests. I think that's just absolutely amazing uh, because we see the NFL at the moment, they're struggling. And unfortunately they have positive tests on multiple teams. Uh, but, you know, seeing that the NBA did what they did and were able to finish their season in the way that they did um, with such perfection, if you ask me, I think it just gives us a lot of hope because, you know, if they can do it, we think that we can do it. So hopefully we can. Yeah. Look, you're not going to have a bubble like that. Uh, none of us are going to be in that kind of bubble. 
Um, but everyone I've talked to, it, it, no one's worried about actual game action, you know, contracting the virus. It's about what happens after. So that leadership you talked about and that experience, how much will that carry over to how everyone has to behave this season and, and make those kind of sacrifices that you're going to have to maybe not go out as much or really limit who you go out with? I think I'll be able to help in that area a lot. At the moment, I'm helping because, you know, we're testing uh, all the time here every three days now. So um, people have to, you know, the guys on the team have to monitor who they're hanging out with and what they're doing even now uh, because we, we can't afford to lose any time. Uh, you know, other teams that we're going to possibly play against, we're able to work out in the summer and we're able to work out months before us. So we understand that we, you know, all the time that we have is super valuable because we don't have much of it. Um, so I think that'll just carry over to the season. Um, and while guys are playing, uh, I think that that would just be the number one thing on their mind. I don't see that as a problem for our team because you're going to have to make sacrifices no matter what. Even if there was no COVID or anything, you have to make sacrifices during a college basketball season. All right. So you personally, uh, obviously it wasn't a normal off season, but you, as you said, you were able to get shots up and work out when you could in areas around Westwood. Um, how much of a different player or a better player do you think you'll be this season? I think I'll be a much better player with the time off and being able to watch basketball as much as I did. I wasn't able to play it as much, obviously, but uh, being able to sit back and watch, you know, the greats in the NBA bubble, as well as, you know, rewatch film over last year's games and just, you know, I want to come into this season with a higher IQ than I had last season, not making the mistakes that I did last season and, you know, just capitalizing off of the success that I had the previous year. So I think I'll be a, a much better player if you ask me for sure. Uh, and, you know, with the coaching staff that we have and, you know, the teammates, the trust that they have in me, it's only, you know, helping me every single day. So I'd say I'm going to come out and be a better player for sure. And, and lastly, the expectations, you know, everyone I've spoken with, and I believe this. I think you guys in Arizona State, we can pick the order one, two. I think you guys will be the teams that will be picked to win the league. And ultimately, if that's the case, then, you know, go potentially far in the NCAA tournament. What's your anticipation of when you get to the Pac-12 play about, you know, the expectation on UCLA to be right there to potentially win this uh, as we started this conversation about keeping that momentum and, you know, being one of those two teams, I think, to potentially win the league? Well, last year we ended second. Unfortunately, because of that loss at USC, uh, put us one game behind Oregon. So we're going into this season, you know, we understand what it takes to be there and what it takes to, you know, be successful and beat teams on a nightly basis in conference because it's not easy by any means. But we're coming into this, you know, this season thinking we were second last year. It's only one other place that we want to be, and that's first. <laughs> so, I mean, we're ready for whoever wants to keep us away from that because I don't think anything is going to stop us. And there's no question this team has taken on that defensive mindset that Mick Cronin installed wherever he's been. It took a little bit longer last season, but that's natural. And now, as you said, that momentum will continue into this unprecedented season. Chris, I appreciate it. Stay safe and look forward to seeing you on the court. Thank you, man. I appreciate you for having me. And now it's time for March Chadness here with Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Uh, Chad, for this part of our podcast, we're going to talk about some breakout stars uh, who might not necessarily fit into one of the uh, position award categories. They may, but uh, I've got a little bit of a list here of players that I think uh, could have a breakout season. So I will turn it over to you to throw them at me. 
Yeah, Andy, we're looking at your top 10 breakout candidates this week. We're going to count them down from 10 to 1. Guys are going to be making a big jump this season. Uh, let's start with EJ Liddell out of Ohio State at number 10. Uh, freshman a season ago. Uh, he closed the year on a strong note, though. Second of the last game of the year, uh, he dropped 17-11 and 11 on a ranked and pretty good Illinois team. Uh, he only saw 16 minutes a game, though, last year. I think that'll increase a good bit, don't you? Well, and first of all, I want to qualify this. This is not a list of the most talented, but it is also a list of, you know, maybe their most impact that they will have on their respective teams. And so with Liddell, yes, I think that he's going to have even more of an impact on Ohio State. Um, you know, I think they're going to shift a little bit more without Caleb Wesson on the perimeter. Uh, we don't know the situation right now in terms of the uh, health of Seth Towns and Justice Suing about how healthy they will be at the beginning of the season. So a player like Liddell is going to have even more impact, and that's why I got him on this list. All right, now let's look at number nine, MJ Walker out of Florida State. Uh, he averaged right around seven points a game in his first couple of seasons in Tallahassee, uh, but he jumped that number up to 10 last year. Uh, are you expecting a big senior season out of MJ Walker? I am. I mean, Devin Vassell's gone, and um, there's always <laughs> the guy that's the next guy at Florida State. Leonard Hamilton always seems to find that player who can deliver and uh, ends up elevating his game and his production. I think MJ Walker, I think he's that person. I think it's his time. Yeah, I agree. I think they, he could be a guy down there uh, for Leonard Hamilton. Let's move on to number eight here with Paul Scruggs. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, he jumped up from four points a game his freshman year to 12 last year and, and, and then uh, his junior year as well. Uh, could you be looking at another jump for his senior year? Yeah, no Najee Marshall. And Xavier's a team that's going to be probably kind of like they were last year. You know, on that bubble, a team that's going to try to get into a higher tier within the Big East. And you know, Scruggs is, is you know, kind of like Walker at, at Xavier. There's always that next guy up that's ready to become the go-to guy. And I think Scruggs will do that for the Musketeers uh, this upcoming season. Okay, let's look at number seven now. Scotty Lewis out of Florida. He only averaged eight and a half points a game in his freshman season. Um, but he ended up logging big minutes down the stretch. He ended up averaging 35 or more in his last four games. What are you expecting from Scotty Lewis in his sophomore season? Well, it's funny. I mean, he was expected to be a breakout player as a freshman um, and maybe even go to the NBA draft. That didn't happen because, you know, he and the team were inconsistent. And so I'm going to stick with Scotty Lewis. He was a big time get for Mike White at Florida. And the anticipation is that, and that's fine with that, if it just goes through a natural process for a freshman or a sophomore, and maybe, you know, the, the hype and the expectation was a little bit too much. And sometimes it is, and that's okay. Uh, but I think Scotty Lewis will reach more of his potential as a sophomore. Yeah, I agree with that. At number six, you could have gone with a couple different people from this team, but you've got DJ Jeffries out of Memphis, part of that loaded freshman class a season ago. Uh, maybe could have even gone with Boogie Ellis here, but, he, but DJ averaged uh, 11 points a game on 51% shooting from the field and 39% from three. So promising peripherals from his freshman season, but what do you think he can do in his sophomore year? Yeah, I, I think he's going to continue to grow. Precious Achua is gone. Uh, this is going to be a team that's uh, going to need some experience. And you're right, I could have gone with Boogie or DJ. Uh, lean toward DJ on this one. And, uh, you know, he could end up being one of the best players in the American by the end of the season. Wow, I like that. Now, here's a guy that we actually did not see play last year. And at number five, you've got Joey Hauser, uh, Michigan State. He sat out last year, like I just said. But he's Sam Hauser's younger brother, but this time looking to make a name for himself. Do you think he can with the Spartans? I, I do. You know, there's so much chatter at Michigan State about their wings, 
you know, Rocket Watts going to have to play some point. Aaron Henry plays, you know, 2-3. Um, Malik Hall is a big wing. A.J. Haggard is one of their newcomers. You know, this Gay Brown. But the player that may have as much experience, if not more, because he's sat out and then played two years ago, uh, as you said at Marquette, is Joey Hauser. And I, I think we're going to see, uh, I say breakout, because people maybe forgot how good he is. Uh, but I think that he really could flourish on this Michigan State team. Yeah, a guy that you mentioned, Rocket Watts, who's not on your list, but obviously, you know, could have been on this list. He's a guy that Michigan State played four straight ranked teams in the season last year, and Rocket was averaging 18 a game. So you might have a couple different uh, breakout players on Michigan State this year. I debated that, but I think Hauser, uh, by nature of his position, it won't be as crowded as, uh, you know, I rattled off all those wings. Uh, it's just not going to be as, as crowded where he's playing. So I think he's going to have even more opportunities for more touches. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, at number four, it's a guy that's been around a little bit, but he's had quite the journey. It's Andrew Jones, the Texas guard. We talked about it a little bit the last couple weeks. You know, he's only a redshirt junior because of those medical redshirts he's had in, you know, 2018-2019, battling from leukemia. But now he's got a lot of his strength back. We've seen him play better. Uh, Andy, what do you think he can do this year? Well, I, I think this is a great opportunity for Andrew Jones. There's no question that, you know, you combine him and Matt Coleman – on the perimeter, and Texas is going to have a loaded backcourt that could produce, you know, double figures on every given night. Greg Brown, you know, he's going to be a stat stuffer for Shaka Smart. But I just think that every year that Andrew Jones is removed from his cancer treatment, he's going to get stronger and stronger. And, you know, he was an electrifying score before all this, and it just took some time to gain that strength, and now he's getting it back. Yeah, I like that. That'd be such a good feel-good story. Like, it was already great that he came back and played and beat leukemia, but gosh, if he could be an impact player this year, that'd just add on to his legacy at Texas. Um, at number three, you've got Matthew Hurt, uh, the 6'9 big man at Duke. Freshman last season was probably expected to do a little bit more than he actually did last year, but, you know, after one year, he could make that sophomore leap. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Vernon Carey's gone. Cash Stanley's gone. Trey Jones is gone. He's the top returning scorer at just under 10 points a game. Uh, and the expectations are really high at Duke for her to have a monster season. And experience will matter, especially this season. And I think he's going to get, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of touches, I think he's going to get even more, very comparable to Joey Hauser. So I think we're going to be hearing a lot about Matthew Hurt this season down on Tobacco Road. All right, and at number two, you've got Jeremiah Robinson Earl, another guy that, you know, maybe could compete with his teammate for the top breakout candidate, but Robinson Earl was the former McDonald's All-American. Uh, he averaged about 10-9, and nine, almost a double-double in his freshman season, which is very respectable, but I think you and I are both high on him. We think this guy could have a monster season. Andy, what do you like about Jeremiah Robinson Earl? Yeah, exactly that. Sadiq Bey is gone, but the combination of Robinson Earl with Colin Gillespie uh, and and obviously Justin Moore is the other wing that's going to have a, a great season for Villanova. This is a team that could win the national championship. So if he averaged just around, you know, 10 a game, that number could increase up into being a solid mid-teen score every night out for the Wildcats. And look, he, you know, obviously he's got a name. People know the name. So maybe you say, oh, how can he have a breakout? I just think he's going to have a breakout in the sense that he could be a first-team All-Big East player and a player that that will be well-known uh, nationally by season's end. 
Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Justin Moore. I think a lot of people talk about, you know, Colin Gillespie, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Uh, there's a guy on our team, Andy. We've got a Villanova grad. Anytime you mention those two guys, he's like, hey, don't forget about Justin Moore. Don't sleep on Justin Moore. He averaged 11 a game last year, uh, shot 40% from three. So I'm excited to see what he can do, too. But to top your list, Andy, you've got Drew Timmy. You know, the Zags lost uh, Tilly and Petrusev in the front court. So there's going to be a lot of minutes up for Drew Timmy to grab. How do you think he's going to do this coming season? So this is a great example. And we know, Chad, our users sometimes, you know, they love to cherry pick. And someone, of course, will come at us and me specifically and say something, you know, like, how can you say that, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is not as good as Drew Timmy? That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that I think Drew Timmy will have as much, if not more, of a breakout season at Gonzaga, and his importance will be that, and that's why he's at the top of the list, because without Petrusev, without Tilly, they're going to need another big-time score for them inside, and Timmy will be able to do that next to Corey Kispert, uh, who's become a really good passer. I think Timmy will be on the receiving ends of a lot of that post-to-post passing or from the high-low, and I think Timmy will really benefit off of that. Really showed that in times and stretches that he played, he maximized his minutes last season, scored in little spurts when he was in the game, runs the floor well, and I really think we'll see him blossom into a double-figure scorer and a player that's going to be instrumental in whether or not the Zags make a deep run. Yeah, he might not just be a double-figure scorer. He might be a double-double kind of candidate guy. I mean, like you said, he was very efficient with his minutes despite having a couple of stars in front of him. Um, but And if you just averaged his stats out last year to 40 minutes a game, he would have been averaging 19 and 11. So if you get a little bit more growth uh, coming off, you know, a, another offseason of working out and being with the team and in the system and getting these full minutes, <laughs> he could be a potential All-American type of guy. Um, so that was number one on your list, Andy. There's one other name, though, speaking of potential All-Americans. Bill Self, a few days ago, mentioned that David McCormick could be a potential All-American without, you know, Azubuki and Silvio. Uh, you know, he's a big man with clear path to minutes, you'd think. Andy, what do you think about David McCormick? And I thought about that, and I think if we extend the list, I definitely would have him on it. So I think that's a great point. Now, they may go smaller because he might be their one true big and experience big for that matter. So there could be times when it's four and one, you know, four smalls, if you will, and McCormick. And then that might mean his production may rise. Uh, but you're right. I think without D'Souza and Azubuke, he's going to get plenty of touches and be even more productive. And so he's another player that certainly will um, increase his productivity this season. Uh, and I love the analytics that you just threw out me with Timmy and stretching him out to 40 minutes to prove the point that, you know, his production will increase. Those are the deliverables, Chad, that you bring every week. And that'll wrap up this week's edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, a big shout out to our Turner Sports crew, Chad Aycock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and everyone at NCAA.com who do a great job of repurposing this podcast in various forms. Check out all our content at NCAA.com as well as, of course, our social media handles on Twitter and Facebook at March Madness. Stay safe, everyone, and we will talk next week.